Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Continue to be really intrigued by Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' teaching, the beginning of verse 1, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret <clears throat> will reward you. So I've been speaking about this the last few weeks in this podcast um, reflecting on what that looks like for us as disciples of Jesus. But I got thinking about how Jesus himself is must be embodying this very teaching. Um, you know, he is practicing what he teaches and preaches. And so um, Jesus then must have been really trying to avoid practicing his righteousness before people to be noticed by them. Well, if that's the case, then I wonder whether that could give us some clues as to our, how we might notice uh, or experience the difficulty of noticing how Jesus is with us. Like, um, you know, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, some of the very last words of Jesus are, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, a lot of us wonder, well, what does that look like that he's with us? Like, I mean, Jesus is with us in an invisible way, but are we noticing? And um, maybe the reality that Jesus is practicing what he, you know, what he's teaching here uh, could help us uh, understand why it is difficult to recognize uh, because Jesus is deliberately uh, coming in as a humble, under-the-radar presence to bless us and to bless others. And so it's really learning how to um, get getting to know Jesus and, and learning how how Jesus, what are the signs of Jesus's presence that, that that's key. So I've been ref I've been thinking a lot about like how do I come to recognize that I have been uh, blessed in some way or, or prayer has been answered or God is with me, and um, I think of several examples recently that um, I was just in the on the Isle of Mauritius. Um, it was the third stop in um, three different places where we were offering our certificate in transformational ministry at the margins. So Mauritius is a English and French and Creole speaking place. Um, it's an island between Madagascar off of uh, South Africa coast and um, Australia. So it's way out there in the, in the Indian Ocean. And um, many of the people are from Indian descent like probably 60% or more of the population. A lot of uh, people that are descendants from slaves, uh, black African slaves that were brought over by the British. Um, this, the, the Indians were also indentured servants who, who were brought by the British. And, and then you have Chinese people, and it's a really multicultural place. So anyway, I was offering um, the third module um, to that group, a third module of our certificate in transformational ministry at the, at the margins. And Gracie and I had done the first two during COVID um, through Zoom with this group of like seven uh, Mauritian Presbyterian pastors. 
really sweet people. And anyway, they were hosting me. I was staying in um, like a, like a parish uh, house right beside a church in the north end of the island, this beautiful place. And I had to learn how to, to drive on the on the opposite side of the road that we are normally we normally drive drive on, you know, the British style. And I was given a car and every day I taught from say nine AM till two thirty or three. And then I had an, a couple of hours free, like from three to six every day, to just go to the beaches and enjoy the beauty of this tropical paradise. So I was going out and I realized, wow, I, I don't have the right footwear for the beaches. Like I, I had some tennis shoes and I had some nicer uh, kind of airy um, woven shoes, leather, but I didn't have any flip-flops. And Gracie had said, oh, you should just wait till you get to Mauritius. Well, I asked my host about where I could find flip-flops and they said, don't go to the tour shops because they're so expensive. Um, you know, you should go to the local stores and and find them there. So I, I went to several local stores and none of the places had my size. They were way too small. And so, um, and sure enough in the tour shops, they were a fortune. So I was just going barefoot and, but really feeling it on my feet because there's these little tiny pine cones, um, in under these forests, uh, between the parking spaces where we would park by the beach and and these beautiful beaches and just walking around in barefoot was, was kind of painful. And so after a couple of days, I was like, man, I need some flip-flops. So anyway, I was out in this remote um, area on a like the second or third day of, of my eight day stay. And I was, uh, you know, I, I got my, my, uh, my towel and grabbed my, you know, whatever I wanted like sun cream and stuff to go to the beach, water bottle. I headed through this little pine forest and, you know, just ouch, ouch, every step. I got all the way to the beach a long ways. And then I realized I left my wallet in my pocket. So then I had to go all the way back to the car. And it was, uh, once again, a painful journey. And I got there and right um, in front of my, just my doorway, I mean, my door of my car were um, were a pair of flip flops that were like just my size, probably size eleven and a half, um, and they were just sitting there, like, and they were still kind of wet. And somebody had obviously stepped out of them, but they were aiming right towards my door of my car, like someone was getting into my car. But uh, there was nobody in sight, and I hadn't seen anybody when I parked. And so I looked everywhere; I didn't see any anyone. And I thought, that is so strange. And those flip-flops look like my perfect size, but oh well, they're not mine. They're somebody's and they'll probably come back for them. So I turned around and I walked back and I got like five or 10 minutes um, towards the beach. And I turned around and I looked back and I thought, there is nobody here. That is so strange. And I thought, you know, those flip-flops, I mean, I, I think they're for me. So I went back and I tried them on and they just fit perfectly. And when I sent a picture of them to Gracie, she even noticed that they had the, they were the same color as my, you know, as my own one and only pair of, uh, you know, of uh, shorts. And, um, and so I, 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 I received them as a gift and felt like this was maybe an example of 
kind of the humble way that God blesses us without, um, you know, without clarifying that it's really from God and with the possibility that, um, you know, that it, that it was obviously this, these were probably just left by somebody, but, but there they were, they were my size. I needed them. They were, they were right there by the door of my car. Um, you know, when I returned, there was still nobody around anywhere. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I, my hosts, all the different, like these Presbyterian pastors, when they heard about that, they were just shocked. They, they were like, wow, that is super cool. And they thought it was like a sign of God's, you know, God's blessing. And so, um, you know, the next day I, I went out and I took off, uh, you know, at three o'clock and I was walking, um, to out, down towards the beach this time with my flip-flops and and I went to this um, like really fancy resort on the beach to get a juice and a latte. And I was sitting there just enjoying myself. And then I pulled out my bank card to pay them and they ran the bank card and it didn't work. And I thought, oh no, that's, what am I gonna do? I had no cash. And so I told them, I said, look, um, I'm so sorry about this. Um, let me just go to a bank machine and I'll come back and pay you. So I asked them, where's the nearest bank machine? And they said, oh, the next town up. So I, I walked to the next town and um, I asked people, Where, where's their bank machine? And they said, oh, it's the next town. So I walked along the beach. I ran, I walked. I, it was a hot afternoon. I, I must have walked an hour and a half, two hours till I finally got to this town and I found my way to a bank machine. I put it into the ATM um, and, and it refused to to work. It didn't work with my particular, you know, my, my particular card. And so there I was without um, any possibility of getting money. And I needed to be back for a dinner I was invited to in about like in 20 minutes. I was planning on taking some money and then paying a taxi, but I couldn't take a taxi. And I, um, and I was like at least an hour and a half away from where I needed to go. So I was like, oh God, you know, what do I do? Help me. And I thought, okay, I'll hitchhike. So I stuck my thumb out and the first car that passed me pulls over, stops a woman um, with her daughter. She says, oh, where are you going? And I said, um, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's this particular town. It was, And she said, oh, okay, well, I can give you a ride. So she rode me, drove me down. I, I got near to where I, I was recognizing some beaches and figured I was getting close to the church where I was supposed to go, but I, I wasn't completely sure how to get there. Um, I knew I'd be able to find it once I got out of the car. But um, anyway, this woman was so friendly. She was like, um, so why are you, how long have you been here? Oh, three days. Okay, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing trainings for this group of pastors. She said, oh, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian, you know, trainer, theologian. I said, are you? She goes, no, I'm uh, I'm Indian. Um, in other words, she was Hindu. And, and I said, oh, wow, okay. And uh and she said, you know, um, we're in the town now. Um, hey, um, you, you probably need some money. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And she, but she reached into her wallet or purse and pulled out all these bills. And she said, no, you, you take this. And I'm like, no, no, um, I can't take your money. And she goes, no, please, I insist. You, you don't have any money for a taxi, for water, for anything. No, take this money. And so she put all these bills into my, into my hands and, 
and there, um, there I had the money to be able to pay for my coffee. Um, but, um, anyway, so that, that was another thing that shocked my, my hosts. So there were, there were, there were two experiences of, of me, uh, being so blessed and, um, and was that, um, it was, but it wasn't, it was, it was clearly not something that was directly attributed to, to Jesus, right? It was God blessing me through people, um, God blessing me, um, through, um, sort of unknown means in terms of, uh, you know, maybe someone's neglect or, or being, or, or having forgotten their shoes, or maybe, maybe they were drunk. I don't know. But anyway, um, I don't have any explanation and, but I give the credit to Jesus and, um, on the second to the last day of, of my time in Mauritius, I was, um, every day I was going early in the morning to swim, um, before I took off to do my training, you know, to drive the 40 minutes to the church, um, where I drove all the way along the coast to, uh, to this little church where I was giving the trainings. I would go like at 7am and, um, I'd go with my flip-flops, walk down there, um, with my, like a plastic bag where I had, where I'd leave my cell phone and my, uh, sunglasses and my, my swimming suit. And then I'd go out in this, uh, and swim for half an hour, and I was just swimming and pray. And I was doing that every day. And so the second to the last day of being there, I I did what I was always doing, swam way out there. And I was, on that particular day, I was just asking God, like, why is it that it seems like a lot of things that, that are, that headway that we make gets, gets attacked. It's almost like I can see that the enemy is like a thief who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And and, and so many things that we've been about seem to have been sort of taken from us. And I was praying just about that. And when I came in uh, from my swim and my processing, I came to my things. And there was only one flip-flop there where there'd been two. And I was like, oh, no, how could that be? Here I was just given this incredible gift that I was just treasuring of these flip-flops that were, by the way, quite nice ones, like pretty high-end flip-flops. And now there's only one of them left. And what am I going to do with one flip-flop? So um, I had I, seen that there were dogs that were running along on the beach, like kind of uh, stray dogs. And I thought, okay, well, there's probably a dog that found one of these flip-flops and took off with it. But I looked everywhere up and down the beaches and they were pretty vast, these beaches. And I could see dogs, but no flip-flop in any dog's mouth. So I started to walk towards, um, you know, where I was staying and just uh, knowing that maybe I just lost um, yet again, something had been taken from me that I felt like God had given to me. And um, there was a black man who was jogging on the beach towards me you know, with his jogging um, shirt and uh, trousers. And he ran um, towards me and I pulled up my single flip-flop and I said in French, Est-ce que vous avez-vous un sandal comme ça? Have you seen a sandal like this? And he he told me in French, you know, no, I, I just got to the beach. I haven't seen anything. But then he looked at me very, just while he still ran past me, he said, that will be returned to you. And he said it so strongly, like almost like 
prophesying. It will be returned to you. Um, And I thought, wow. And then he ran past me and I walked along the beach and I came upon um, some dogs and, but no flip flop. And I saw a man who was uh, adjusting his boat on the side of the beach. And I came um, up to him and I, with my flip flop and showed it to him and asked if he'd seen any dogs with a flip flop. And he just motioned with his, with his hands, like hand motion saying no. And, but then he waved for me to follow him. And, and so I, he began walking along the beach back where I'd come from. And, uh, he waved for me to come follow him and, and he scoured the beach and I scoured deeper in along the palm trees and the edge of the kind of the fields. And, it was a pretty big area we were trying to cover and five, 10 minutes into our search, I found the flip-flop and, uh, and I was praying the whole time. And so that felt like, um, almost like, uh, the first installment of seeing that prophet prophecy come to pass of, you know, it will be returned to you. And, um, so if this is God who is working in these different ways, um, you know, what, what sort of God does this reveal? You know, um, clearly it's a God who isn't insisting on taking credit or uh, isn't making it clear that, that it's Jesus who's behind this or the Father or the Holy Spirit or any, any um, aspect of God. It's, it's, it's just like these are things that are happening that could be viewed as random. And um, often people do tend to just see things as luck, as um, or as just random um, benefits, and um, I wonder how much of God's blessing to us is is directly the the f- sort of the result of of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit practicing what Jesus is saying here. Be wearing, beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be noticed by them. Like God is not trying to be noticed. You know, God is, uh, Jesus isn't trying to be noticed. He's, he's really trying, um, if anything, he wants to bring glory to the father, but he's, he's, he's deliberately not, um, doing something, doing everything he does in sort of an incognito sort of way. And of course we see this in the gospels, don't we? We see, um, in Mark's gospel where, um, when Jesus gives the parable of the, of the sower, who sows uh, on in the on the path and in the among the thorns and in the rocks, um, and you know this and the good soil and then the good soil yields uh, thirty, sixty, hundredfold, but you know the other seed is choked out and then he says the one who has ears to hear let him hear, and then um, Jesus's followers the twelve they began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, um, to you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So Jesus seems to be deliberately um, offering teaching that is is difficult to interpret as maybe almost in inaccessible uh, at face value to people that are not yet um, disciples. In other words, people who would come to Jesus. Um, 
to ask him about about the meaning of of the teaching or or even like in the case of what we're talking about asking jesus like how is it that you are moving in my life how is it that you are moving in the world where where is your action you know show me um you know the movement of your of your presence in in the kingdom of god um you know the um nicodemus the famous scripture where nicodemus comes to him by night and says you know no one could do these works that you're doing unless um, they were sent from god and jesus responds by saying unless um we, unless you are born again or born from above you cannot see the kingdom of god so um Nicodemus doesn't understand that. He wonders whether he needs to go back into his mother's womb and be actually literally born. And then Jesus is like, no, you, you know, you have to be born of, of water and of the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. So there's some kind of spiritual rebirth that is needed in order to be able to, to see. And, um, you know, we, you know, we see that, um, there's so many examples of Jesus uh, acting in a in a in a in a humble way. Like, you know, he's he doesn't want people just following him for a material benefit. Um, there's so many statements he makes about about how people they follow him only because they want to see the signs, and uh, or they want to eat the bread. And and Jesus is wanting people to come to. Uh, you know, to follow him and to learn from him and to be his disciples and, and to, he wants to be able to bring them, us, to the Father and wants a relationship that um, is a disciple. Uh, you know, he's inviting us to be learners, to come in and to be pupils, to to learn from him in his humble and beautiful, mysterious ways and and to practice life the way the way he does. And Think about some other examples, like when Jesus heals people, he'll often tell them, um, don't tell anyone. And of course, they, do, they, they can't resist. They tell everyone what Jesus um, has done. The lepers tell everyone about how they've been cleansed. The blind man tells everyone um, how he's been restored, his sight's been restored. And yet when the people say in, in John 9, ask, well, who is it that did this or, or where is he? Um, he knows that it's a man named Jesus, but that's that's it. And, uh, you know, when Jesus comes to him after he's been kicked out of the synagogue um, and he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So Jesus uh, doesn't even come up to the man before he heals him and says, oh, by the way, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Christ. Um, do you believe that? I mean, he makes no... Uh, demands on the man to show uh, that he has faith, that he recognizes who Jesus is. And then here when he comes and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He doesn't say, do you believe in me, who, by the way, is the one who healed you when you were blind? I'm the one that told you to go and to wash your eyes in the, in the, um, you know, in the spring that's called Siloam, and the, the, the scent, um, the place that means scent. He doesn't, bring him up to speed. And the man says, um, answers Jesus, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, said to him, you have both seen him and he's the one who's talking with you. I love the way Jesus uh, is so understated and yet direct at the same time. And um, 
here the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And, um, and Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And so there's something about, um, you know, seeing um, that is important for Jesus, right? Um, and us learning how to see. So the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, "Are we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. So maybe that we need to be able to just confess that we don't see the kingdom. You know, we don't see the signs of the kingdom. Um, instead of pretending like we like certain things are God, um, you know, when we're not, um, you know, it hasn't been shown to us or revealed to us, you know, maybe we need to be more careful about what we attribute uh, to God um, right away and, and just confess our blindness from the start. If we don't, if we don't see God's action in our lives, we need to just say, look, say, look, I'm blind to the presence of God. I'm, you know, I, um, I want to be able to see the kingdom of God, but I'm not seeing it. So Lord, you know, um, what kind of re new birth is, is required? What kind of birth from above do I need uh, to step into now? I know I, I, I feel that way so often that I need to experience, um, you know, a, I guess a renewal, a, a new, new birth. Um, I was, um, doing a Bible study with Gracie and uh, our group um, of Tierra Nueva people in the garden behind Tierra Nueva um, on Wednesday. And we we were having just a great conversation about, I forget what text. And um, at the end of it, Emmanuel wanted to share a story. And Emmanuel's um, a black man uh, originally from Chicago who's a, a vet. He was part of the um, Gulf War. And um, he said, oh, I got to tell you this story. Um, he rides a, you know, a motorcycle. I, don't, I think it may be a Harley. And anyway, and he's part of some of the twelve-step groups in our valley. But he's been part of our church for years and um, lives up in Bellingham. So he said, "Yeah, you know, I I ride my my motorcycle, and I was taking a ride a couple of days ago, and and I went down into this uh, area, sort of up river, um, you know. And he was talking about an area that." has very few, if any, black people or any people of color. Um, you know, it's a white, um, you know, dominant white community. And often uh, a lot of the people are, there's a lot of racism in this particular area. And maybe it's kind of known as a place that if you were a black person, you'd want to maybe avoid it or stay clear. I, I would feel that way. It was, it's, so anyway, he was saying, yeah, I was heading out um, on a ride and and I saw another motorcycle and I kind of fell behind him a bit. And I, I was trying to be careful. I didn't want to go and uh, be presumptuous and kind of like, uh, um, you know, like pass some cars and, and, and act like it was my territory. I, you know, you have to be, we have to be really careful when we're in an area where we don't know people um, because things can get weird. And I think he was basically describing just the awkwardness of being a black man in, in a predominantly white and redneck area. And so he says, so I followed behind and then um, there was a cop that pulled behind um, the, the, us, the two of us that were riding our motorcycle. And we came 
riding in towards this area called Darrington, which is a really, um, you know, kind of a more of a redneck area that, um, so he was saying, suddenly I just started to feel really uncomfortable. And I realized I just wanted to get out, um, you know, get off the road. And so that this cop, you know, would just pass me. And so he said, I pulled into this gas station and plus I was out of gas. Um, I needed to fill up my tank. So I got to the, um, found my key. I opened my gas tank and reached in my, in for my wallet, in my you know, my vest and, um, my wallet wasn't there. And so I was like, Oh no, I have no gas. I'm in Darrington and I'm out of gas. I mean, I don't have enough gas to go anywhere and I have no money. Um, and so he said, I, I went into every pocket of my, first I thought, Oh, I, I must be in my, he, I remember putting it in my inner, um, you know, like, um, vest. And so I, I he said, I took off my coat and I, reached into my inner vest, but it wasn't in that pocket. And then I remembered, oh, I'd left it um, on um, in my in my apartment. And oh no, what am I going to do? But then I, I checked all my pockets just to be sure. And before um, I dared to, you know, to ask these people that were getting out of this big F-150 Ford truck, um, you know, he said, I, I came up to them and I said, um, sir, excuse me, I'm... Um, would you be able to help me fill up my tank with gas? Because um, I don't know what I've done. I left my wallet at home. And he said the guy um, and his girlfriend or wife or whatever, the, these white guys, um, they just pulled out and kind of waved a $20 bill. And like, this is all they had. And, um, and, they, and they went into the gas station. And then he was just like, God, what do I do? You know, what do I do? Help me. And he said, right then, he reached into his pocket and there was his wallet. And he said, it was just crazy. He uh, he, kn he knows that he didn't have his wallet. He checked all of his pockets. But there, suddenly when he said, God, what do I do? Help me. And he reached in his pocket and there was his wallet. So he said, then he um, filled up his, his uh, tank and then he suddenly felt really self-conscious like, like thinking, okay, well, the people inside the gas station um, who'd gone in there, maybe they noticed that he'd filled up his tank. And so they would be wondering why it is that they he was asking them for $10 to fill up his tank. And so he said, I waited there for them to come out and I was going to offer to fill up their tank with gas. But I waited and waited and waited and they never came out. And so then I just uh, I just took off and I, and I rode home. Um, but anyway, that... That's another story that I think fits this uh, really um, incognito uh, way uh, where maybe your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand's doing. I mean, is that is that Jesus practicing this kind of care for us where he's not getting any obvious credit? Um, I I want to believe that it is. And um, I, I feel really inspired to you know, to really, um, learn from Jesus, you know, um, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Um, you know, for I am gentle and humble in heart and I will, you will find rest for your souls. Or he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light also in there, but he says, I'm gentle and humble of heart. And I think that gentleness and humble of heart is, 
is manifested in the way that he operates towards people. Like Jesus wasn't um, like I tend to be a people pleaser in a way, or someone that just wants to, you know, wants to be able to, wants people to, to be able to receive a benefit and to be blessed. And I mean, he is, he's far more of that than I am. He's, than any of us can be. He, he's pure love, but that love is, is under the radar oftentimes and it's humble. And how do we practice um, a love like that? And, you know, Jesus himself must have been practicing exactly um, what he was teaching that we talked about last week in, in Matthew chapter five, where he says, um, you know, that we don't want to hide our light under a bushel, right? Um, but um, he says, you are the light of the world. And Jesus is described as the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Um, so a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Um, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus was um, shining his light before people, but in such a way that, that they would see his good works and not glorify him, but glorify his Father. I mean, that's that's what Jesus says. I, I've come to do the works of the one who sent me in and and Jesus is is about glorifying His Father, and and are we operating that way? Are we are we doing our works in such a way that the glory um, people see what we're doing, but they glorify Jesus or they glorify the Father rather than glorifying us? And what does it look like to learn from this humble of heart, Jesus, and to and to be sh- shining a bright light, light brightly as lights? in this dark world, but in a way that is not, um, I guess, public in a way that is giving glory to us or, you know, making our names great, but is clearly making the name of Jesus uh, great on the earth. So I just uh, leave us with that question once again to contemplate.